The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into episode 218 on the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you by Evans Drumheads. You may have seen, or if you haven't seen, they just released a two-ply version of their uh, very popular UV series drumheads. So it's called the UV2. So this is two plies of 7 mil film, and then they put a, a coated, a special patented proprietary UV cured coating on top. It's different than your standard spray paint uh, coating. So this is designed to be a little bit more durable, quite a bit more durable, uh, a bit more punchy, more focused. If you try the UV1 heads and you've liked them, this will be the two-ply version of that, which for me, um, I love the UV1. I have one a kit that I gig with and I, the heads have been on there for well over a year and they've showed zero wear. So I'm super excited to get these UV2s on the same kit to see if they can bring a little bit more fatness and low-end punch. Um, and also go to uh, the Evans YouTube page and check out some of the really cool videos they've released to promote this stuff featuring Nate Smith, Sarah Thar. Uh, Adam Deitch and several others. So again, check out the Evans UV2 drumheads, and uh, we're going to get the show started with me stumbling through the Eulogy Danny Carey beat. I am playing over top of a loop, uh, an exact programming of the beat that I put into my Arturia Drum Brute Impact drum machine. So you'll hear the drum machine by itself. I hit some of the variation buttons to make it do some fills. Then I struggle to play on top of it, and then we'll get the show going. All right, thanks. Monday, everyone. Thank you for your patience. I've got to. Oh yeah, over. yeah. It's Monday, dude. <laughs> People. Are, well, I I know what it is, but I I forgot that some of our loyal listeners that take the release the Friday release very seriously yeah. could have been extremely fired up. I get a like, lot of a lot of DMs. Hey, no podcast today. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I can't drive to work until I see that it's been released. So either I'm yeah. not going to work or you better release this podcast. Yes. So thank the you for your patience. This is episode 218. We delayed it on purpose. 
um, because I was attending the Progressive Arts Society International Convention, and I wanted to make sure we recapped it while it was fresh on my mind rather than wait till next week when I probably would forget all the cool stuff. So uh, I apologize for my, my voice. It probably sounds really crazy. I lost my voice uh, Thursday night, Friday night. Typical at a super loud bar just yelling and screaming, and I, I like literally felt it pop like, oh, I don't have a voice now. So it's That's been, funny. I was going to say, how do you lose your voice? You don't say anything in public ever. Well, <laughs> you just stand there and like you usually you hold your drink lightly. It'll be like that for the night. And then you just nod a lot and you go like, cool, man. Hey, what's up? And then no one, no one approaches you for the hug in the social situation. They come in with a crisp, crisp gentleman like handshake. So so were you with friends? Were you among friends? How did you lose your voice? Well, yes, that's just, you know, after hours getting together with various industry friends, we just kind of bar hop. And, um, you know, when it's 8,000 decibels in a bar and you're trying to talk to someone you haven't seen in a year, you know, you got to yell pretty much for an hour straight. So it just pops. And how was the weather there? Freezing cold. Oh, they're in full winter? Yeah, Midwest in in November is is no fun. I've come to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're, I'm in a, I'm in a tricky spot right now because we are, in a place where we're not normally in. Normally, winter has settled in, and, and I live in Northern California, for any of you outside the country that think that California is just Baywatch. It's a huge state. It's a very big state. <laughs> I live in Northern California. We do have seasons, and we do have winter. Our winters are obviously mild, but we still have winters. Anyways, normally by now, it'd probably be you know, in the 50s and six, like low 60s would be our high. Well, our highs right now, every day, uh, it hasn't stopped, has been 75. So we have this springtime uh, weather. What's going on? Well, that's what sucks. It's like, this is amazing, and I'm getting in all these great rides, but I know it's because our Earth is dying. <laughs> and that's like, there's a guilt in enjoying this amount of weather. And it sucks because I'm like, this can't be right. This is wrong, but God, it feels good. Oh, blissful but, uh, ignorance. Right? Um <laughs> It, it doesn't even matter that it all started in the Industrial Revolution. I still blame our, blame our current leader. It's all his fault. <laughs> like it, it, it had nothing to do with it, but it's all his fault. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's. I'm in a tough situation where I'm loving the weather, but I know it's wrong. I know it's not a good thing. It should not be 75 every day in the middle of November in yeah. Northern California. And I saw so. that even like Houston had like 30 degrees over this weekend. So there's oh, wow. some weird extremes. It's all going out on. of whack. Yeah. 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 All out of whack. All right. Well, before we get in any trouble talking about things we don't really know anything about, <laughs> let's talk about PASIC. So now we got to talk up. about the stupid eulogy beat. Come on. Oh, God. I tried to skip it. I tried to forget <laughs> it. Well, okay. You got. So they've heard yours. They've heard the intro. They'll have to stick around to the end. Uh, no reason to, to hear mine. Uh, I will let you know that unlike the diligent Mr. Michael Dawson, I didn't practice it at all. And then I read the rundown this morning, Monday morning, and it said Johnston outro groove eulogy. And I was like, you got to be shy me. Come on, man. So I jumped on the kit, tried to relearn it from scratch and try to really Im- get into it. And I will say it's it's a frustrating groove. It really yeah. is. I've come to a conclusion um, that it will never feel good. It might sound smooth. It might sound good. But it's one of those, I kind of think, like, when you see a ballet dancer, it's so graceful and it looks so effortless. But inside, mm-hmm. they're, like, in utter pain. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the eulogy yes. beat. <laughs> you know, I when we started talking about this morning, I was trying to identify what it was that I don't like about it. And obviously, 
as a listener, I mean, it's one of my favorite groups of all time. Yeah, I love classic. hearing that part. Yeah. I love when Maynard's vocals come in and it's just drums and vocals. Love it. So when I say anything negative about it, I'm only talking about my own painful experience. But there are certain grooves that take a ton of independence to pull off. Something like, let's say, um, uh, traditional Mozambique. Mm-hmm. So fairly traditional. Really hard to do if you don't have good independence. But when you finally get it, all the parts come together and it's magic. Yeah. And they sounds they good, work together. Good, yep. It sounds good. It feels good. This you kind of have to sit outside of it like a producer and like, yeah, I guess that's right. But God, it doesn't feel right. It just fights it so hard. And you and I are actually, we should explain just in case anybody cares to go from the beginning of the podcast and skip to the end. You and I are technically playing two different beats because you're playing a straight 16th note groove on your right hand and opening in that every, well, I guess it's starting on the second note, then it becomes every third note, right? Well, starts on the first note. So that's what I've learned about this beat. The hard part is not getting the open in the right spot. It's getting the close in the right spot. Okay. Because you open on the downbeat, but then you get a close it on the E of one. That's the part that I never really unpacked enough. To like, It's really the left foot independence against that stupid bass drum part. Gotcha. I, I can't get it. And I was using 16-inch hi-hats like an 80s. I should have used like some 12s or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, instead of playing that, I played the rhythm of two 16ths on one 16th off. One okay. E, a two, and a three, and four E, a one, and a two E, and. So I'm playing that, and then my left foot is playing upbeats. So I've got that going on. Um, and you've heard mine. They haven't. You've heard mine. I, what I realized was it wasn't like learning a halftime shuffle or learning any of these other things that I, where I learned them from someone else's song. Let's say the halftime shuffle. I'm learning Rosanna. Then I ended up with 40,000 shuffle variations because of learning that. Mm-hmm. With this, I didn't, lo- I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> All I can do, I can't do anything. All I, I mean, I got something out of it, but all I can do is play it. So all I was able to do in the limited time I gave myself, uh, my fault, but all I was able to do really was orchestrate it. Yeah. I still played the exact same groove, you know? Yeah. I don't know. What, what I, could you do? I mean, you could change the bass drum part, but then it would cease to be the eulogy beat. You could maybe I think you'd have permutate to, the hi-hat part. I don't know what you would do with it. I think what you'd have to do to still consider it as challenging is come up with your own one bar bass drum groove. You could change the bass drum groove, but if as soon as you make it a two beat thing, it becomes half as difficult. It's half as much to keep track of. Yeah, right. Yeah, true. You know, so you have to make it a one bar bass drum groove, and that's what makes this thing so difficult. If it was just doo doo ka doo doo ka, no problem at all. Yeah, true. But doo doo ka doo 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 ka. It's that. Uh, one that, e uh, two. Ah, uh, it's that stupid ah. Uh. I hope to never. Can you have imagine to play this what after. Danny's doing if he's listening right now? He's like, you oh, guys know I did this when I was in high school. Yeah, right? we know what you he's doing. Kids. He's selling out arenas for seven hundred dollars a ticket. You know what? Mm. Learn to play the beat if that's if that's your job. Okay, good point. Good point. <laughs> I have to give Danny credit though for creating the groove. I, I I don't know the story behind it. I don't know if he just. It was something he was already working on or if it was something I would love to know from Danny um, what the process is like. Does he 
because uh, you know we got a little insight on Richard Spaven when we mm-hmm. were learning about his grooves and how he creates them, and I would love to know: Does Danny hear something and then say, "All right, screw it, I'm going to have to learn how to do it because I hear it, and now I can't hear it any other way"? Or does he sit down and play? Or is it completely mathematical where he says, "You know, what would be cool is this three part on the hi hats against four on kick and snare." Uh, I, I, you know, that question. stuff fascinates me. The process is is everything for me. Well, I don't think any human would sit down and just play that. So it had to have been some sort of <laughs> pre-planned thought beforehand. Yeah, I want to play yes. something that just feels awful. Okay, let's do that. Oh <laughs> uh, well, as you can tell by all that negativity, that's what happens when Mike and I struggle on the drums. We blame everybody else around us. Everybody else. All right, let's talk about Pasic. Okay. You were able to be there. Uh, First question I have without having talked to you yet is what was the feel like? You know, yeah. each one of these things is a every every year NAM and PASIC is a let me check out the feel of our industry. Yeah, I think um, first of all, I think if any of you listening have never been to the Progressive Arts Society International Convention, you need to do yourself a favor and get there one of these years. It is just an event like no other, where you, every hour you can dip in to see a world-class drum set clinic, you can see a drum line, you can see classical percussion, you can watch debut performances of new music, and you get to go check out gear and hang out with the industry and meet up with all kinds of different players and artists. So it's kind of like everything that I like about NAM minus everything that I absolutely loathe about NAM. It's just the, gotcha. good, the good parts. So um, that's the first thing. And I felt like... This year and last year, I felt like there was maybe a little bit more of a focused vibe, more um, deliberate with the lineup. I felt like there was two kind of overarching themes with the drum set lineup. It was creativity and musical expression and then practicality, how to actually work. Okay. Okay. Um, so everything kind of kind of fit within that, which was really cool, rather than who's the most popular, most insane drummer with the biggest kit and the craziest chops and let's just right. make everyone, you know drool it was more like yeah. you're going to leave every hour with something either how to be a better player how to be a more open and creative musician how to explore other styles so it was i felt like the you know the casting of the lineup was was very effective from an educational side cool and just the overall vibe i felt like it's kind of refocusing there's a little bit more energy and a little bit more um you know just like we're keeping this thing going keeping this ship rolling which is cool nice Awesome. Um, got to meet a bunch of uh, your campers and students were there, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. The Mike's Lessons family was like in a little pack. I could yeah. just see them kind of going around. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool to see that happen. Like see people become friends that have never met each other, but because of this thing we have, uh, you know, the drum set, you, you're kind of guaranteed to, even if there's an awkward, well, I don't really vibe with this person, you can always just go to like, so, what's your favorite snare drum? And then now we're on <laughs> yeah. the same page. Yeah, you right. know, worst case scenario. So that was awesome to see those guys all hanging out. So they get uh, they found you. Yeah, so you know, I first got there. I got in on Thursday morning. I went straight to Scott Pellegrum's clinic and then to the Dream Booth. That's where you know I, we told everyone to go there. That's when we met. Yep. Those of you who those of you who missed me, unfortunately, I had to kind of run in and out of clinics the whole time. So there's a bunch of people that grabbed me in the hallway, but I know I, I missed a lot of people. So. Next time, if you see me, do not feel like it's rude. Literally grab me and say what's up, because that's sometimes yeah. the only way that I can keep my tunnel vision from, i got to get to this clinic, and i got to get to this, or whatever. Right. Agree. So, yeah, it was another great year, I think. Um, well, let's look at the calendar. So the biggest bummer, 
I booked my flight and hotel month ago, two months ago, and then they added Nate Smith as the Wednesday night opening concert when I wasn't no. on, I wasn't going on until Thursday. So unfortunately, I missed Nate Smith with his band Kinfolk. They were the opening concert on Wednesday night. But wow. from all reports, it was as amazing as you would expect. I think he literally sure. f- was on tour, flew in, on tour with someone else, flew him and his band in, played the show, and then flew back to get on the tour with someone else. Pretty Stud. amazing. Pretty amazing. Wow. wow. So that was Wednesday night. Um, let's see. Thursday morning, first thing I saw was Scott Pellegrom. I didn't realize it was his first PASIC appearance. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, which was great, and Scott is such a cool, a cool, positive, energetic person that I think it was a great way to kick off a PASIC. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. So, yeah, so his thing was essentially the overarching theme that I left there with was don't be afraid of mistakes. Embrace them and use them to your advantage, which I think is something that okay. needs to be reinforced, especially when you're dealing with collegiate level students who are like afraid of failure and all of that yeah yeah and well because they're being judged you know yeah so he literally Um, went up on stage on an instrument that he hadn't necessarily played in that exact configuration ever before and just just mm. experimented and messed with sounds and then anything that 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 maybe someone else might consider a flub he just turned it into a piece of of the solo and so it was just cool and just have him kind of share that like you know my whole mission is to screw up on the drum set and make it work on the fly which is awesome and he's so good um so yeah that was like the opening bit and just as if if you were there you know that at the same time there were one two three four five six seven other clinics going on at the exact same time as scott pellegrim so oh my gosh yeah so that's how crazy PASIC is wow um so then at noon where did i go Oh, Steve Fittick was there. He gave um, just a great class. His was a class on, uh, you know, how to play fills in a big band setting. Okay. Which is kind of the contrast. Like, you've got Scott, like, freedom expression, and then Steve's more like, okay, you got a big band gig. Here's some fills you can use that'll always work and that kind of stuff. Okay. So that kind of dichotomy of PASIC is always fun. To, like, there's someone yeah. who's literally using the instrument like in scott's case he's using the instrument to kind of further him spiritually as a human being not necessarily any context of of a gig right and then steve's like well what if you get called to do a big band gig <laughs> how do you set up these yeah. figures <laughs> yeah like that back and sure. forth i think is cool and it's always great to see steve jimmy chamberlain played thursday of smashing pumpkins first time okay, i've ever seen him in a clinic i was to say did he give a clinic or did he just perform it was it was a performance with some just talking. Um, okay, he played you know some pumpkin songs and and such. But the little bit again, I didn't see the whole thing, but it felt like he was really focusing on building parts that serve the song. That was his whole theme. Like, okay, just finding the right part. So he played some some classic tracks. I was really surprised by how kind of reserved and controlled he was as a player. Mm. It's just from from being a fan of the pumpkins and thinking of how kind of buddy rich crazy it can be at times. Like, right? He he physically played very very relaxed, very controlled. Oh, cool! We didn't expect. Um, okay, who was after that? Um, okay, here was my surprise group of the whole event. It's a percussion trio called Square Peg Round Hole. You heard of them? Okay, I have. Yeah, it's like um, a. 
it's a sort of a percussion ensemble, sort of a like a trancey ambient electronica group. Okay, really I, cool I mean, I'm trying. I'm, I'm sure someone. It, it sounds familiar, so I'm sure somebody has sent it to me in the past. It's really but, cool. So if anyone listening, okay. you haven't checked them out. They, I think they have a record out, a full record out. It's if you like ambient sort of electronic, but it's actually you know live musicians playing. Very very cool. Nice. So they were kind of a surprise. I didn't expect that at all. And they had like lights that were coordinated with the music. It was it was really oh, cool. really fun. Um, okay, now let's get into this Giovanni Hidalgo. Oh, so the great really? Giovanni Hidalgo, amazing conguero percussionist. Here's what I got from his clinic as well as from Daphnis Prieto's clinic. Quite simply, we are always going to be playing catch-up to those guys. Always. Yes. Like thinking 15 years ago, oh, they can play clave with any limb and and play patterns over top of it. That was the thing. Oh, left foot clave, whatever. What these guys are doing now, him and Daphnis and probably many of their peers, their brains are like split in half. So they can play in one tempo, perfectly precise with one limb, play in a totally different tempo, perfectly precise with the other limb. And it's not like a polyrhythm. It's not any kind of metric thing. It's just literally, I'm going to play this Afro-Cuban rhythm with my left hand. I'm going to play the exact same rhythm with the right hand. I'm going to speed up and slow down at will. Never lose track of the four-bar phrase. Never lose track of just the precision. It was dumbfounding. So those two, Giovanni and Daphnis, were the two for me that I left there like, I quit. Like, there's no yeah, way yeah, I yeah. will ever catch up to what those two men are doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I was uh, at the last 21 Drums, Mark brought in some stuff because Mark went over to Cuba last year. And he brought in some video footage that he took while he was there. And he was just showing like a, a, a club show that he had attended. I mean, mm. it wasn't like some big concert. But... You know, what's so different about that is that even if you tried to push yourself to that level, you have nowhere to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have an audience that will accept it. You don't have an audience that will pay for it. Where um, when I look at like even how Eloy Casagrande has developed just from being a Brazilian drummer, even though he's doing metal, his environment is causing him to excel at a level where most rock and metal drummers couldn't even fathom what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to keep your eye focused on like what are you doing and why are you doing it and if music is headed there then people will just keep up with it you know yeah. and when i i remember the the pasic that i did in 2013 maybe uh, i think that was the one that ignacio bro was at mm-hmm. and it was a same thing like he was one, he was kind of saying, look, like, just so you know, like, you can buy all the books you want and all the DVDs, but until you live here, yeah, it's true. not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the stuff he was playing then, I was just thinking, like, dude, that's not even fusion-level independence. That's a whole different thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's something to be marveled at for sure. Uh, and th- those guys, it's it's just it's crazy. But, like, you know, we've seen what's happened to our modern metal just because – all of a sudden it became cool to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And in, I mean, we skyrocketed from five years ago to where we are now with metal, with the, the world of periphery and animals as leaders taking us into this thing that's now become a thing. 
that stuff because it was cool. All of a sudden, I mean, you had just random kids that are like, yeah, I'm doing an Animals as Leaders cover. I'm like, what? Right. I can't even learn the intro. What are you talking about? You're doing a cover. You're you're 11. Um, but to them, yeah. they're like, well, I don't. No one's told me no, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But you know, with that stuff, I totally agree. But it'd be like playing two different Amos at Leaders songs at the same time. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean it, the the skill level is off the charts. I'm just saying, like when you have an environment that allows for it and encourages it, you know, we don't even know what's possible yet, mm-hmm. and. Same thing, like uh, Annika and I did that little practice pad jokey thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. Yep. Well, a bunch of cats from India did it and just took it to a level that was unbelievable. <laughs> right. And it was like, oh, geez, <laughs> come on, man. We're just we're just trying to get some kids in on the fun. You don't have to you don't have to come after us like that. So I yeah, I mean, I think that you're right when it comes to Brazil, Cuba, <clears throat> India, Dominican Republic. Like when the when the culture is pushing for that and the Mm -hmm. culture is accepting of it and supporting it and allowing you to do it on a nightly basis, five nights a week gigging in that thing, then you can take it to that level, you know? And I'm sure that's probably what they felt about us 50 years ago with jazz, you know, like, ah, yeah, yeah, I can play jazz, but I'm not, I'm not in New York playing it five nights a week with, you know, who with John Coltrane. So, um, yeah, the, the human the human body and the human brain can do some incredible things if given the proper environment. That's my excuse for not doing it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a long-winded excuse. <laughs> my excuse is, well, I could. I just live in Folsom, California. So otherwise I'd be... Uh, okay, let me ask you this. When you saw it, yeah. do you appreciate it or do you wish you could do it? Um. That's a very good question. It gave me that, that that kind of like, you know, when I was a kid, I would get really kind of jealous of kids who who had opportunities to do things that I could never get opportunity to do. Like I wanted to be a skateboarder. I didn't have a skate park. So I would see kids who were really good at a half pipe. I'm like, Ugh. I, if a half pipe was here right now, I'd kill myself because I don't have the opportunity to, right. to skate on. So it was a little bit of that, like, man, like if I just had been in that world where – the whole point of it is to explore freedom over clave. How right. cool would that be? But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? That's their bag. That's not my bag. And I don't know exactly. that I want to even try to practice it because, again, as soon as I catch up, they're going to be doing something that's way beyond Well, and that, that's what t- it turns into, like this catch-up cycle that you're never going to win. So you have to – the only way to win is to find what you love the most, put your head down, and do it. Yeah, And that was a huge turning point in my career was being able to attend a Virgil Zanotti clinic and have an absolute blast and not practice one thing that he said. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to practice any of it. (laughs) Okay. But but or or, you know, Daphne or whoever, like where it's like, dude, that was amazing. I had so much fun, but I'm cool with it. Like, that's not what I wish I was doing, because I know that if I sat next to Steve Jordan, attending a Thomas Lane clinic, he'd be like, right on, man. And then he'd leave, but he wouldn't be like, let me call Yamaha and see if they can get me some Octobons. Yeah, right. No, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, he'd, it, he'd be it, cool with it. It does relate to, to a later clinic with Dave DeCenso where it's, it's similar, like that, that fluidity and freedom of time and pulse because mm-hmm. your time and pulse is so confident and secure. Yeah. With Dave, it's like, I, mean, I can relate to that. I can, that is part of, I've even told Dave when I saw him, I was like, you know, I just realized a lot of my, style is stolen from you just this idea mm. of being able to flow over top of a of a very strict tempo and not ever yeah. never ever get to the point where you're just 
letting your hands do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. It's just this fluidity with subdivision control, which right. is similar to what Giovanni and Daphnis are doing. It's just they're able to make it like so clean, like clearly there's no denying that I'm playing the exact same rhythm in two totally separate tempos and I have absolute control over it. Like that was just like right. a total different trick, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, sure. A totally sure. different thing. Um, so yeah, anyway, I that was totally Giovanni. That. Then Tommy Aldridge, the classic, I mean, it was mm-hmm. like a time capsule of hard rock metal drumming with complete with stick twirls and over the head swinging and double bass. I mean, it's amazing. He's wow. still able to do that. I was going to say, like, uh, nothing against Tommy, but, I mean, I've, I've followed him since the White Snake days. Like, he's got to be getting kind of old, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how old he is. He, he looks great. He's still physically very strong and fit. Stud. Awesome. Yeah, good amazing. Um, okay, then, oh, our good good friend Ash Sone closed out the night on Thursday. Um, first time I've ever seen a drum set clinician make people cry. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cry as in uh, his shuffle so good they just want to cry no, or did he, he actually got, bring something emotional he got a little bit emotional of just I didn't realize it was his first US clinic ever like he's never done oh, one wow. so he got a little wow. bit just emotional just of the experience and our photographer afterwards was like man I was crying into my camera like what the hell was going on wow <laughs> that's so cool yeah so it was great I mean he killed it he did exactly and what you have you ever seen him play in person no no, just it's videos. different. Like how incredibly powerful he is for how precise and delicate his drumming is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he is, he hits the hell out of his drums. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's very controlled. Yeah, um, he did explain that you know because that was one of the questions he got was how how do you play differently live versus a studio and mm-hmm. that was the first thing he said was I'm definitely playing a lot harder now and I'm I'm trying to be more animated than I, than I would in the studio but in general the sound is still the same but yeah. it was awesome he did what he what do you want to do play some of his tracks played some grooves killed it with a halftime shuffle took a bunch of right. good questions such a good dude yeah. yeah i was shocked that that was his first uh u.s clinic ever wow that's amazing <clears throat> it's a good one to to have as your first so we go into friday how far do you want to yeah. do the whole whole recap okay so friday the first thing that i was able to get to was keo stroud of the uh, country pop band Big and Rich. Okay. Powerful. What oh, yeah. Powerful, we covered him a while back. Yeah. Such a powerful dude. And this was also an interesting, because a lot of people ask, like, you know, how does, how, why doesn't PAS get this person and that person? And it's the same thing with the Modern Drummer Festival. Why couldn't you get Steve Jordan? Why couldn't you get Josh Freese? Sure. Abe, you know, Abe Laboreal Jr. These dudes are on tour, and same thing with Ash. The reason Ash is, hasn't been to PS isn't because he hasn't been asked; it's because he's had commitments that won't allow him sure. to do it. So Keo um, was there, I think originally supposed to play Saturday, and then something happened with his with his tour routing, and he had to come in and do the first clinic on Friday morning, and he had to sub out a show from his band. So just to go through all that wow. extra. Hassle, hire a sub, make sure he, you know, the band was cool with him subbing out a gig. Wow! And had to come in and do that Thursday morning, and then that I think the next that night get on a plane to go to the next gig. It was crazy. So just his commitment and interest and dedication to do it was super cool. Powerful, powerful player. Super fun guy. He had a huge double bass kit. <laughs> Atta boy. Awesome. Atta boy. Such a sweet guy too. Uh, Rough Raider Reyes Jr. 
was after that he kind of hit on the idea of studying music or different styles of music even though you might never actually play it because it's going to inform mm, what sure. you do on your actual gig which i thought was incredibly practical i think he's been out with chicago recently um, and then dave Desenzo at noon on friday just just killed everyone as usual um, he even took it up a step further and started rapping while he was playing like Wait, actually what? rapping <laughs> you mean like a christmas present no like it was like an old well, give us an example <laughs> <laughs> the theme of his solo was float like a butterfly sting like a bee so mm. he kind of just kept riffing on that and then okay. when he would say float, float like a butterfly he would play more floaty and sting like a bee he would go a little bit deeper in that's pretty cool but he's yeah it kind of felt like bernard purdy in a more of a rock kind of a okay. situation that's cool man he's he's somebody that i don't think he has even figured out how to decode his own concepts yet but he's so conceptual with his playing yeah that i think there's some brilliance in there that hopefully somebody uh in the future can almost decode and help him deliver that to people because Things like that where it's like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. But to him, that's common sense. Mm-hmm. But it's not common sense to everybody Yeah, to think like that. Yeah, I felt um, like – I mean what I have what I was talking about earlier when I stole from him, it's this idea – and it's not even that I stole it from him. I think I had someone else introduce it to me and then I realized he was doing it better. So I started studying him was, was establishing targets like a rhythm from syncopation. That's going to be your, yep. your vamp. That's your target. And mm-hmm. that gives you a musical construct to then apply all the drum crap that you're practicing. So yes. double stroke rudiments, how are you going to fit all your roll rudiments over top of this two-bar riff? How are you going to figure you know, your hand-foot patterns to make them fit as 16th notes or 16th note triplets, but always outline this accent phrase? Right. So it's this kind of like zoom in, zoom out approach to, to drum set patterns. Yeah. Which I think gives him that fluidity. Like he's not thinking about the minutia of the lick. He's thinking, what is the overarching pattern that I'm going for, and then how can I apply what I know from a, as a drummer to that pattern? Does that make any sense? Just oh like no, absolutely. Okay. I mean, that's it, it. Makes more sense if you know Dave's playing because that's what's happening. Is he's in control, but he's also while being it's weird. He's a passenger on the Dave Desenzo train. Yeah, exactly. He's driving it, but he's also a passenger. Just like, oh wow, this is pretty. Yeah, look, yeah. look out the left. You'll see the Sierra Nevada mountains. He's yeah, like, oh, he's, cool. he's trusting all the hours of practicing rudiments and patterns and stuff to then that's not going to fail me. So now I can then f- figure totally. out ways to make it fit in a, in a more interesting phrase. So super cool, always inspiring. Always great to catch up with him. I saw him in the back of uh, Brendan Buckley's clinic, and he was just rocking out to Brendan. Like that's that's what it's all about. <laughs> like he yeah, was man. into it. So then after Dave was Sarah Thar. Oh, nice. Which was, this must have been her first PASIC, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, it um, must have been Canadian. I think she's from Toronto um, of Indian. She's awesome heritage. So she was doing Indian Indian rhythms on drum set, but not classical Indian rhythms like pop mm. Indian rhythms, which was a, such a no fresh way. approach to it of not, not doing yeah. what everyone does, which is try to take classical Indian rhythms and apply it to the drum set. Which usually causes most of the crowd to be like, well, I already, I don't even want to be here because I already know I can't do this and I'm yeah. not going to dedicate the time to do it. So can we just move on to something cool? Yeah. Even though it is cool, but I, I, I've been to all of those types of clinics where it's like, here we go. 
this it's going to be over everybody's head. Yeah. And so that's so cool that she did that. Yeah. So much so more relatable. A more contemporary version of Indian rhythms and less rule based. You know, kind of make it sound more like funk beats and stuff. But then at the same time, she was always referencing when I first started playing drum set. I thought of the drum set as a bunch of tabla, not as a drum set. So how would you play a bunch of tabla? So it was really cool, and she's really articulate and really fun. So that was a that was a great kind of surprise clinic for me. Um, and then Daphnis at three. I've already alluded to it. If you haven't checked out Daphnis Prieto, it is that he's one of those guys that'll make you want to burn your sticks, but at the same time you have to just keep coming back to him and keep coming back right. to him because he's just so yeah. so musical, so communicative on the instrument, so free. But his technique is absolutely flawless. Like he's a perfect drummer on a technical level. Gotcha. So he did a lot of. You know, improvising over a clave where it was that fluid thing where he could just go in and out of time, but you never felt like he was just letting the hands go. It's just insane. Right. It's just an insane level of musical independence that I think is upper echelon. Good luck catching up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also just really fun. He's very entertaining and just fun. So he's amazing. It didn't. It wasn't depressing. It was just like, okay, that's a master. Let's just appreciate how masterful sure. this man is. Um, and then Dave Elich was the last major drum set clinic. Um, he came out and kind of surprised me and just played like a mid-tempo rock beat with like no embellishments and just okay. swinging from Saturn. <laughs> so we went Chad Smith Modern Drummer Festival? Yeah, but, you know, but super I mean, powerful, big motions, yeah. but completely fluid completely relaxed just kind of demonstrated his his teaching of like making sure your body's not getting destroyed when you play drums sure it was really cool huge huge sound i mean it was did he have his new snare with him no i don't think so i don't think he was using that okay but he had probably a 22 inch crash cymbal that he hit like it was a 16 (laughs) nice (laughs) turn it into a b8 china splash (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so that was Friday. And then Friday night, I lost my voice. And then Saturday morning, let's see. Let's kind of wrap this up. Saturday, we had Stephen Perkins just reiterated how much of a rock star the man is and how just positive spirit and just a great ambassador for drumming. That dude's incredible. Absolutely. He just came out and jammed some uh, James Addiction songs, Porn of Pirate songs, just did what he does, and it was just so inspiring. Um Let's see, the next one I got to was Brendan Buckley. So I think Brendan was the perfect example of, I'm going to teach you something that will make you better so you can get a gig. As opposed to, I'm going to show you how to be more expressive on the instrument. It was more like, this is a quick, this is a fast track to get your your drumming under control, so then you can play actual gigs. And it all came from the premise of developing your unisons. So eighth note unisons, and then adding accents to create backbeats and things and then changing the bass drum part so then now you've got grooves right playing them straight playing them swung so now you've got eighth straight eighth so you got your swung swing beats do the same thing with sixteenth notes um and then just kind of evolving from this simple premise of can you play quarter notes with all four limbs perfect unison perfect balance and then depending on tempo and subdivision and then he just had all of his vocabulary. So he's like, if there's one tempo or one feel that you're really uncomfortable with, start with unisons in that tempo or that feel and just get absorbed the subdivision 
and then explore yeah. accents and orchestration and all that. How many of us think that we could play all four limbs in unison uh, in quarter notes at any tempo, and then if you had to do it in front of a judge, could you really do it? Yeah, no. No, because no, no one, no one practices City. that. Nobody practices no, that. No, but it makes perfect no. sense. Like his logic, it was totally like, does. This makes because he's aligning his body like in each subdivision yeah. and getting totally comfortable, totally balanced, and then exploring, making music with it. Right. So it just made awesome. perfect sense. Like that's that's how you get from I can't play a halftime shuffle to I can own a halftime shuffle. Yeah. Um, so that was great. And then um, the last one that I was able to go to before I had to fly home was Antonio Sanchez. Which wow, was, what a great lineup this yeah, year. Yeah, incredible lineup. And then Stanton Moore was the last clinician. Unfortunately, I had to miss it, but everyone said it was amazing, as usual. But Antonio was the opposite of Brendan. It was, we're going to explore right. composition and, and making sure you're shaping your improvisations and you're using the drum set as a tool for essentially free, you know, free composition. And it was awesome. He brought a kid up on stage. I think he'd been playing drums for a year and a half. And within 10 minutes, had him playing a cohesive drum solo. Really? Yeah. I mean, you could tell by the end of it, he's like, oh, we could spend another five years on this. But it went from a kid wow. just hitting the drums too much to like, oh, you have a theme, you have variations, you have development. It was pretty right. impressive. Wow. So he's great. I think he's the, the premier compositional drum soloist on the planet at the right. moment. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. So amazing. So yeah, that's basic. And I flew home and I missed Stanton more, like I said, unfortunately, but I'm sure it was great. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, um, hopefully I can be there next year. It was busy. It's always a busy time. Like I, I always plan on going to PASIC and then it's right when our camp season ends and my work begins. Yeah. As far as since I talked to you last, I think I've filmed probably about 40 videos. That's filmed, all, yeah. edited, that's, uploaded. That's, uh, a lot. that's a lot of work. And they're all and these are not these are not Instagram videos. These are like seven minute <laughs> yeah. videos. And uh so yeah, it's it I mean I'm getting like paler and paler by the day uh because <laughs> I just haven't seen light in a while. And then on Friday I head to Singapore. Oh that's so right. Goodness. I'm starting to kind of work out all my clinic stuff for that because I haven't done a, a clinic in a little while. So I'm dusting off the the laptop and my clinic tracks and all that stuff so yeah i'll be in, heading to singapore is on this Friday, a, then. a new clinic presentation or is it a version of what you've been doing the past year this this is the hybrid this is half new so all the teaching is brand new mm -hmm. and then the only thing that's changing about the performance is that i've added in a drum solo like an open drum solo oh cool and i think i've cracked my own personal code for this will be my first time to test out my new theory of in front of a crowd improvisational drum solo stuff oh and we're back um <laughs> lost your first did you get there. yeah um this will be like my first time testing out this thing of okay what i want to do is i want to be able to play drums by myself and allow other people to watch that happen mm, yeah I'm can the same i do boat. that i'm in the same boat and not, and that was a big I, part of Antonio's thing was the impatience that we all have at, at that with those types of moments. Like leave two measures of silence, and it's going to feel like ten years. But that could oh be gosh, the most yeah. effective thing you could do. And and I, you right. could tell everyone in there's like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> Just the impatience. Yeah. Of well, like and then play, there's play, the play, other play. thing of where have where have you been putting this 
information for the past couple of years, my improvisational information has been stuck in 60 second chunks on Instagram. Mm. And, you know, somebody says, dude, you should really let that develop. Tell when the two minute mark when you can't watch it anymore. <laughs> I have 60 seconds to get my point across. So it's like, can I take that 60 seconds and stretch it out to four minutes and allow themes to develop and allow for space and mm. and say, OK, like, let's let's zoom out a little bit. The other thing that I had to find in all of this is what do and this is a tough thing. And I don't know if you've had to go through this, but not what am I good at? What do I like about my drumming? Because I will play better if I'm playing stuff I actually like. Mm. Where And there are little aspects of my drumming where I see an old Instagram video. I'm like, dude, I dig that. I dig that a lot. I'm not judging myself. I'm not looking like at the stupid faces I'm making. I actually like the way that sounds. Bring that into this solo. Play more of that stuff that you actually like as a fan of drumming. You know, mm. um, It's a tough thing. Yeah. There's yeah. a difference between what are you good at and what do you like. Yeah, what do you spend all your time practicing and you realize you hate it. That, that happened to me quite a few times over the years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, you know, it's funny because the, the irony for me is I'm like, I'm going to use Instagram as, a, as an idea to kind of beta test stuff. I'm going to turn in the full tracks and make a full record, and I haven't done it at all. I'm just afraid to go back and like, yeah, yeah. I should develop that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't remember what I was doing. <laughs> like, I don't want right, to yeah. transcribe it's, myself. It's a, it's a weird thing. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back from there and giving you an update on how it went because I have three or I have two chances. I have a master class that obviously I won't be doing any performing at. I'll only be teaching and I'll only be playing things that are related to the teaching. But then I have two separate clinics, um, mm. and one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And so with those, uh, that'll be my chance to try this thing out and see what happens and see, okay, how how much can I detach myself from the situation but just be in the moment? Because I'm at a place now where really when I sit down, I can get through a six-minute solo every single morning because that's the first thing I do. I walk into the studio I turn on a couple lights, but not all of them, and then I sit down, no warming up, and I play a drum solo. Mm. And I'm at a place now where I can actually control the drum solo while it's happening. I know exactly where I'm at. I'm like, man, we've been here for a while, and we're at an up-tempo. Let's get out of this. Let's give, them, let's give their ears a little break. And mm. I can do that all in the moment. Can I do that when everyone's staring at me and they're like, oh, my gosh, the American's here. He flew all the way here. It was a 20-hour flight. We can't wait to see this. Do I then do what I would normally do, which is I fall back to everything that I know has worked in the past, mm. which is r like completely memorized, stale, regurgitated bull crap in my mind. There's nothing like I don't even want to see it when it's over. It's like uh, I just I just call it pulling the parachute. I pulled my parachute too soon. I got mm. scared. The ground was coming, and I just yanked on the ripcord. You know. Yeah. So you so any, we'll see. I'm I'm excited. Maybe we can talk about it next time. And I'm wondering what what techniques strategies you have because for me it's the environment is what screws me up. And playing in front of people that doesn't really bother me. It's the the drums sound totally different in this world, and yes, I literally can't play them the way I do at home. Or sometimes I just wear earplugs, so I'm just at least I know that's the same. Like the Right, the muffledness of the drums is is going to be consistent. Yeah. We talked about that a few weeks ago that I can play my pad kit better than I can play my kit mm -hmm. because the volume's down and it's not it's not smacking me in the face with my senses. A lot of times I am playing with my in ears in, but they're not plugged into anything; they're just mm -hmm. earplugs. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy that detachment a little bit. 
I will say this. I'm never scared. I, I don't really have any fear. Um, at no point am I playing a drum solo and thinking like, oh, my God, I suck. That's never on my mind, even in the worst times. What I'm thinking is, God, I hope I don't let you guys down. You've been well, supporting yeah. me for yeah. so many years. I'm finally here. Hi, Juno. <laughs> I'm finally here in person, and I don't want to let you down. And that's that's what's going on in my mm. head. And that's when I reach for those low-on-the-shelf licks and those chops that are like, oh, well, you know. And I, I don't want to be in that situation. Like, hey, it worked at PASIC in 2013. Let me <laughs> right. go for this one. Like, screw that. <laughs> Yeah, there, I don't want that. There's too many drummers out there that I absolutely love that play the exact same solo every time I see them. I'm like, just it's, it's so de- just deflating. Yeah, <laughs> to be like, it's, I mean, really, it's just a song without music. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like you know the part, so I don't want to do that. So we'll see what happens. All right, I feel like uh, that's a full episode. We're at 45 yeah. <laughs> minutes. What on earth are we going to get into? Well, we probably at this point should thank our sponsor, Evans Drumheads. Uh, you probably saw the. I think really cool new marketing campaign they've launched with the to, to announce the new UV2 drumhead. I think it's just a fun approach to marketing with this this AI Evan is the is the character. But anyway, the drumhead itself, they sent me a pack to check out. Um, I was a big fan of the UV1, which is a single ply head with this thin coated applique. Um, I don't know how how it's adhered, but they use a UV cured process. That covers the whole head, so it's kind of like a big sticker, but so it's not a spray paint, I believe. Um, but now they have a two-ply version of that, so it's two plies of 7 mil film, and then they have it coated with the UV-cured coating. It's supposed to be incredibly more durable and a little bit punchier. I will say I've had the UV-1s on my gigging kit for a couple years, and the coating has shown zero wear whatsoever. Really? Yeah. So I'm really stoked to try out the new two-ply UV2. If you haven't checked them out yet, um, go check out the stuff they put on YouTube. They've got you know, Nate Smith and Sarah Thar and I believe Adam Deitch. They're all they're all kind of part of this campaign. Uh, but yeah, check out the new UV2 drum heads from Evans. If you're looking for a two-ply head that's a little bit punchier than your standard uh, coated, and uh, supposedly a lot more durable. We'll we'll report back on all of that once we get the review happening. But thanks, Evans, for for sponsoring the episode. Um, should we talk about Jerry Rowe now? Absolutely. So Jerry is somebody that I honestly had. I mean, there's so many of those Nashville guys that I don't even know exist until someone else, like a company, calls your attention to them, mm-hmm. and until. Until Minel put out a bunch of videos for him, I, I had no idea who he was. But I remember it was a big deal for Minel because they said, look, we're introducing this symbol line that has taken us a very long time to create. Mm-hmm. It is going to be the highest level of symbols we've ever created. And our American, like the first person to play them in our videos is going to be Jerry Rowe. And I'm like, who's Jerry Rowe? And they said, oh, well, we'll send you the videos. They did. And I was like, Wow. This is crazy. You're going to have a guy actually play music? <laughs> like, wait, what? Aren't you supposed to get your most chopped out, chop master, chopperful, choppy guy to, to chop like, these up? Choke them, hit them so hard they choke. Yeah, to, to show that, like, to so that no one knows what they actually do. And it was really cool. Chris Brewer said, no, we think that these are the most musical symbols we've ever created. So we're going to have somebody play just some great music and, and give them space. And that was my introduction to Jerry Rowe. And then... From then, 
just starting to follow him and then seeing him play on his own a little bit, I was like, oh, this isn't a country drummer. Yeah. This is a drummer that yeah. happens to have some country gigs and some country sessions. Yeah, so Jerry Rowe is you know Nashville first call session drummer. It comes from a long pedigree of Nashville musicians. His grandfather was the great uh, Jerry Reed, country music legend. His father, Dave Rowe, is a top session bassist. And then Jerry. So Jerry was kind of born and, and raised in the studio, I think it says in the story, which he's featured in the December issue. He did his first professional session at age 11. Jeez. So one of those guys. <laughs> Once again, you're just not going to catch up. So before we talk about the other side of his career, let's drop in some audio from these minor clips that kind of showcases his Nashville studio, beautiful touch, amazing sound. Uh, let's do single flange blues first. If you only hear it, you're like, that's a great sample. <laughs> right. I, can you send me that snare? I guarantee that when they set up, I'm sure the the producer probably already knew who Jerry was, you know, because this was done in a Nashville studio. But I'm sure when they set up, the producer said, can you stick around for just like five extra minutes when we're done? Because I just need to sample that snare. Like, that's yeah. incredible. So that he's playing Craviato drums. That is a Craviato snare with three big chunks of gaffer's tape plus a dusting towel clipped onto it. Um, and I think. And what kind of head do you think that well, is? Well, that's what I was going to say. This is a secret weapon. That is a. I'm pretty sure that's a Remo Renaissance, probably Renaissance Ambassador or Renaissance okay. Emperor. Those are the heads that most symphonic percussionists end up using. So it's wow. that sort of open but earthy, darker kind of sound. I love the Renaissance Power Stroke 3 bass drum head. So to see this okay. on the snare drum, I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it that, sounds fantastic. I mean, it, his playing's incredible. All right, so let's do one more from the minor session. This one is um, even more earthy. I think this is kind of more of a Tom Waits kind of Jim Keltner vibe. The track is called Pre-Aged Custom Relic Derby Convention. gotta say i've never seen that before hitting the bass Back drum beat <laughs> on, yeah hitting the bass drum with a mallet to get a little bit of click but not stick on the bass drum shell to get too much click so yeah. there's just this little weird clack yep. that's happening while he's hitting the floor tom that has a towel on it wow yeah super creative. awesome and that's a craviato shell that he's smacking with, <laughs> with right <laughs> exactly you can't hurt those drums. Don't be afraid oh. to use your craviatos, folks. Hit them. <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> All right, so we've illustrated uh, yeah. how Amazing. awesome Jerry is at the definitive Nashville session drummer vibe. Um, right. It should be noted that he did a lot of the tracks for the TV show Nashville recently. So a lot of stuff on the oh, show really? is Jerry playing, okay. plus hundreds of other hits. Now let's go to his passion project with his 
with his wife, friendship commanders. Could not be more completely opposite from what we just heard. This is hardcore punk. (laughs) Get it. So let's check out uh, the track is NMA by Friendship Commanders. weird about this it's not that he can play this i i I would assume that any of the nashville cats could if if they grew up in the right era could play this stuff sonically Mm -hmm. what's crazy is how much he visually with his body plays different when he's in this band than he does when he's doing the nashville studio thing like he totally when you're watching if i walked into a club and saw this guy there's no way i would think that that guy is a nashville session (laughs) cat right true because there's like there's like a different way of of almost choking the stick and playing with more forearms than you need to you can play this stuff great with flawless technique yeah but if i see you do it i know (laughs) come on man you know you went to school. What are you doing in a punk band? Like, you stop it. Um, True. But he's he's playing more punk than he plays the other stuff. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, this, you know, it's this like, feels, if you're going to do it, do it. This feels like home to me for him. Like, yeah. the other music is it's just what he was born and raised in, and he's you know a, he's a master at it. But when he goes home and when, listens to what he wants to listen to, what he wants to play, I think it's more this kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, it's, you know, and then he, I don't know if he just stopped by for the day or whatever, but I saw some videos from uh, Nelson Drum Shop where he was just playing some house kits there. Mm. And it was a whole different side of his playing that I had never seen before. Yeah, he's great. He's definitely great. So if you haven't checked out Jerry Rowe, um, read the story to get some some tips on what records to start with. But I would go to Friendship Commander's YouTube page as well as all those Minel videos, the Foundry Reserve yeah. demos. I mean, they're not even demos. It's it's full session tracks of him in the studio. It's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, all right, let's get into some microphones. So I was not aware, but these are we're talking about the um, blue microphones, the Dragonfly and the Mouse. And this is what you've been using to do your product demos for a while. Yeah, so anything that, if you've seen Modern Drummer product demos where you can't see the microphones, I've been doing this setup. So I have the Blue Mouse, which is a large diaphragm condenser that's tailored for low end. I've got that in front of the bass drum. And I have a Blue Dragonfly, which is a large diaphragm condenser over the head. So most of those demos are just bass drum mic and an overhead. Um, So these are... They're not cheap, but they're not super duper expensive. So the Dragonfly is a, it's basically a thousand dollar mic. It is a large diaphragm condenser. You could use it for overheads. You could use it on bass drum. You could use it on toms. You could use it as room mics. You could use it on vocals, guitars, whatever. It's kind of your all purpose large diaphragm condenser. What's cool about the Dragonfly is the way it's designed. So it's on this thin body, and then the actual capsule is on this pivoting head so Mm. you can literally aim it once you get the mic set over your kit you can just twist the the head of it and aim it exactly where you want it to go that's really cool super flexible like i just did a uh overdub session yesterday where i had to do shaker tambourine and suspended cymbal so everything on the kit was in a different spot so i was able to just aim the mic just by twisting it to make sure it was getting a direct shot of those instruments um 
sonically, it just sounds natural. Everything. I was just going to say, does there. it color it in any way? Not that you I know? could notice. It just full range, really clean, okay. accurate, low noise, no no. So overhype. it works perfect for product demos for what you're doing. Exactly. Just turn it on, yeah. and what you hear is what it sounds like in the room. The cool. mouse is a more kind of stout, compact version, so the the body of it is rounder, bigger. Um, I put it on the bass drum, up you know even two feet out in front. It still had enough kind of focused of a pattern, so it wasn't getting tons of ambient sound. And we should probably, you know, explain that in that twelve hundred dollar range for the mouse, if you think of it as only a bass drum microphone and compare it to the Audix D six or um, the Shure fifty two. It's going to seem massively expensive. I'm assuming this is a high-end, professional, low-frequency microphone that you could use for anything, like bass, guitar, cabs. You could use it. I mean, it's it's not even. It goes from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz, so it could okay, be. Okay, so you could use it for anything. Anything, literally anything. Gotcha. So this, these gotcha. are like two mics you would have in your in your collection for like acoustic guitar, vocals, drums, percussion, whatever. Yeah, and it seems like they have a pretty high SPL. Um, I mean, up to yep. 138 decibels. So you're not going to hurt them by using them for drum mics. Yeah, no, they were they're and they just sounded good. So if you're looking for high end professional condensers to kind of start a collection with for studio application, these are awesome. Yeah, I think I think also though there there's a specific customer for this because you're going to get in that price range you're going to get pretty great sound. But these also look cool. And I yeah. I get really, I don't know why I get so bummed out, but I get, re- not bummed out, but I get upset when people overlook the looks of things mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's like, well, what else is there to separate it? Why is it like always talked out like, I don't care about how shiny your drum set is. It's like, well, I do. <laughs> when I get home and I'm pissed off about my day, I do care that my drum set looks cool. Like I, that helps me get into it. Like, you know, even if you said this is the best looking microphone ever, and I'm like, dude, it looks like poop. Like, I'm not going to use it. I don't care. <laughs> how it's the best you, microphone in the world. How would you describe this look? The only, only way I could think of was retro futuristic. It's like. Oh, totally. It's, it's what they thought the future was going to be in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. There you go. This is the design. If you look at any 1950s, 1940s sci fi, this is what they thought. This is what all the microphones in the spaceships look like. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it was like super retro, futuristic. I think that's a great, great description for it. I think they, they look gorgeous. And I mean, I, I didn't know this is what you've been using, but I, you always have such a killer sound. So Yeah, they don't, they um, don't take much effort. That was, that's what I look for in these kind of mics, like very mm-hmm. little effort. Just turn them on and it gives me the sound. I can tweak it if I need to. They take EQ, they take compression really well. But as a starting point, put one over, the, over top of the kit, one in front of the bass drum. That's what the drums sound like. Nice. Um, yeah, so awesome. check them out. And check out all the rest of Blue's catalog. I also use the Hummingbird often as they're like mm-hmm. pencil condensers. We talked about them before. But they're also great for on the snare drum. Like the uh, Carter's kit on Lion King is mic'd up with just the Hummingbird. I mean, uh, a uh, yeah, a Hummingbird on the snare top, and that's it. And it sounds amazing. Wow. So, yeah. Awesome. That's Fantastic. That. All right, let's get into a couple listener questions, like one. Okay, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, I've got some good ones, too. Really? Just one? All right. No, no, no. We could do two. But we are, we're pretty deep, bro. All right. We're, all right, all right. we're already over an hour. Okay, this one's from Rigo. He was asking me why we haven't answered it yet, so I'm going to put him to the top of the list. Um, 
I live in Arizona, and I'm always willing to look out for drum clinics near me. It seems that there are always well-known names hosting drum clinics overseas, but not quite so yep. many in the U.S. My perception is that the drum clinic scene is not as big in the U.S. as it is in Europe and or Asia. i like to know if that's how you see it as well, and if so, your thoughts on why it might be the case. I can answer well, all you're of that. About to go to Asia now, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't go to PASIC, and you're about to go to Asia. Exactly. Uh, that's so. Yeah, I can tell you exactly how it's going. Uh, at some point around early 2000s, the, the clinics in the U.S. the attendance started to really, really drop off. My thought is that it was a combination of a new world of media coming in and older shop owners. And older drummers not knowing how to use that media to their advantage to promote themselves. So what was happening was you were getting a lot of guys um, where the shop owners and the drummers neither were knew how to promote. Because back in the day, it'd be like, well, I'll send out my email list or I'll put up flyers at the local uh, record stores. All of a sudden, this new thing came in and certain demographics just didn't know how to take advantage of it. And you would always hear... Yeah, Terry Bozio was just in your town. Like, what? How did mm. I not know about it? So it wasn't even that people weren't willing to attend it. They didn't know what happened in the first place because there was like a miscommunication. So that's what was going on. Now, while that was happening, the, the reason why the clinic scene is massive overseas is a lot of it is that they're bringing in foreign drummers. So mm. it's an event when I come to Singapore. I can tell you that like the clinic scene isn't that massive in the UK for UK drummers. It's not like every day um, Eddie Thrower and Craig Blundell are over at Bell Percussion. It's not like that. It's mm. it's the opposite. So it's an event. And so what's happening is you've got a lot of companies that I play for. They'll send me over there to do a clinic run. And it's well attended because the American is in town and he won't be here for another couple of years. Now – What's happening right now is we are getting a new era of shop owners that are younger and grew up with social media, and they are fans of younger drummers. And by, by younger, I mean even in their 40s, but they're fans of drummers that grew up with social media. And now you have two parties that understand how to promote events. So uh, Rupp's Drum Shop in Denver, Colorado has a new owner, and he's very young, and he's he gets it. And he's like, well, you know what? We're having Nate Smith. Why have Nate Smith in the store? When we're going to video the whole thing, let's put him in a whiskey distillery. Mm. Okay, well, that's badass. Now, every drummer in the world that does clinics is like, hey, how do I get over to Denver, Colorado? Because mm -hmm. that guy's doing it the right way. So I think you're only, Rigo, you're probably only about three or four years away from the clinics making a resurgence in the U.S. Because now people are willing to support this stuff. They want to go see their favorite drummer live and have access to him. Because even a live show for a, a clinic, I mean, you're still only dealing with maybe 150 people at the most yeah. in the U.S. So you're still getting great access to your favorite drummer. So people are willing to do that. I don't think it's a thing of, oh, YouTube ruined it and no one wants to attend an event. Not when you're dealing with people that small, um, groups that small. People are still willing to go. They just didn't know it was happening in the first place. So... You know, so yeah, that's my opinion on it. Now, what about this? This theory I've had was the, when drum clinics were free, there's no reason to go. But I now think I'm a, seeing a, a lot point. of like high priced clinics. I mean, they're calling them something else, but they're Master literally classes, yeah, yeah, they're literally just they're clinics, sick. and yeah. and they're selling out as opposed to yes. come down to the local giant drum store and no one's going. <laughs> you know, for I totally clinic. agree. I, I think that I think there has to be a value put on education and when you make something valuable 
it holds all the parties accountable. The clinician can't just go in there and screw around because people paid to witness this. And the people that paid to see it can't come and just be on their phones the whole time because they paid to see it. So they got to get their values worth. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I mean, I totally agree. I don't think uh, – I mean, I've never had a clinic in the U.S. that didn't sell out. And that's because I know how to promote a clinic. It has nothing to do with me. But at the same time, all those clinics are always charged for. Mm-hmm. Um, because my fee doesn't change no matter what. I have a very set clinic fee. This is my clinic fee. You want to charge $1,000 per person? Whatever. It doesn't change anything for me. Mm. But no one will show up. If you want to charge $5 a person, maybe you'll make your money back. I, can't, I don't know. So usually, I mean generally, a normal clinic, if it's not called a master class, I don't, have, I don't really contact the owner unless I see that they're charging more than $20. If it's more than $20 and it's just a clinic, I usually will say, hey – have you done clinics at that price point before? Do you feel mm-hmm. comfortable with it? If it's a master class, then yeah, usually it's $100 a person or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my teaching is way different. I'm not going to get up there and just jam for right. an hour and be like, any questions? <laughs> like, no, no, no. We're going deep for three hours. So, um, so yeah. Okay, Hope that helps, cool. Rigo. All right. Here's a, we'll do one more. This one's from Aaron. And I picked this one because I just had a conversation about this very thing with Bill Bachman at PASIC. So, my question has to do with stick grip. 25 years ago, I was taught to keep the top of my hands facing the ceiling when playing the whole kit except the ride, where the thumb was facing the ceiling. I've heard Weckl talk about ergonomics and specifically how he plays the ride. It's interesting but not working out for me. It seemed to ha- I seem to have more luck with the French grip. What is your take on the different grips? Am I at a disadvantage for not playing them the same way Weckl or you guys play? So I'll Dude, give if you, the tops of my hands had to face the ceiling, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> oh, my I, I God, that I, hurt. I wish I could remember what Bill said at Pasek. He was kind of joking around, but essentially he said he wants to take German grip and send it off to sea. <laughs> like, never, never to right? come back. <laughs> so, I, I don't. It's such an uncomfortable way to play. Let me give you an, uh, the illustration he gave me. Hold your hand okay. up straight like you're, you know, you're, you're swearing on a Bible. Okay. And keep your hand relaxed and just wave it. You know, up and down. Okay. Totally free, no tension. Sure. Now, pinch your thumb to your first finger as if you're holding German grip and try to make that same waving motion. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so much tension. tension in your hand. That's Just because you with, closed the thumb and the first finger. Yeah. That's the problem with German grip. It automatically restricts the flow of your wrist. Yeah. And if I do that with my hand in more of a French grip, it's a rotation. It's all day it's long. more of a rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's more natural. So that's that's the short version of he and I have had hours of conversations about this stuff. But that was the, the synopsis was that hurts. Send it off to sea. Don't use it anymore. I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. I've never – I the only time I've shown people like here's – the only benefit I can see from German grip is that when you put a stick in German grip, the stick is absolutely 100% locked side to side. You cannot move. The only way to lose a stick in German grip is to drop it. That's the only way Mm -hmm. because it's locked by fingers on one side and thumb on the other. As soon as you go to French grip, it can literally just fly out of your hand if you accidentally hit a rim Mm -hmm. going 300 BPM Uh, around the kit. So it's a very sturdy grip. But it's not – I mean even if I'm on a single surface and I'm just a pad in front of me, um, it's still American leaning towards French. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't go full elbows out and timp- French timpani. Right. But I, I still, it's you know, I I still think in the end you need to study the techniques and then 
find comfort, but you have to, you have to be aware of technique. Like I wouldn't just let somebody that's never played in their life. I wouldn't just say whatever's comfortable to you. And then they come back. I'm like, Oh my God, it's an abomination of technique. (laughs) Don't tell anybody you study with me. I introduce them to the techniques. I watch them play. I'm looking for stiffness. I'm looking for what's causing them any kind of discomfort adjusting. And then from there, I do want people to find the most comfortable way to play the kit. Why do you want to be in discomfort when you play an instrument that's already hard enough to play? Yeah. No Why kidding. am I mad at you? You didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm yelling at you. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I think we answered it essentially. Yeah. Don't stick with one grip, right? Is that yeah. the summarization? Yeah. Of it? I think you pretty much said that you're sending the German grip out to see. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I'll stand by that because I don't. I there you mean, go. Especially once I did that that simple exercise of waving with no grip and then waving yes. with a thumb. I mean, it was. I could feel yeah. grinding. I can feel my bones yeah. like grinding against tendons. So, bye-bye. Mm. All right, so that's it for questions. Bye-bye. Send yours into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We still have a bunch to get through, but we could use some more audio questions. Those are always fun. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Time for Picks of the Week. What do you got? Uh, an old one that I had to revisit. So one of the drawbacks, Adobe, if you're listening, uh, and you'll be getting a letter today from me, but one of the drawbacks to Adobe Audition is that you can't record a click in it. Hmm. You can have a metronome, but you know, in, in Pro Tools, and I don't know about other things, but there's an actual plugin at, that is a click. Yeah, Logic and has then you can yeah. Okay, and then you can send that to a bus, and yep. then you just track that. You can't do that um, with their metronome feature, and there's no Mm. uh, native plugin that is a metronome. So I was like, so literally what I've been doing is putting the metronome on on my phone, and then with one of my microphones here, I track. I track my phone. That sucks. It's stupid. It's stupid. So... But then the other thing is we were, uh, we were tracking one of the songs with my band, and I was like, oh, God, I totally forgot. It goes to 4-4 four, four here, and, the, and I tracked the metronome in 3-4. Mm. So the old thing that I was like, oh, I totally forgot. I used to use this all the time is I forgot about Fruity Loops and how oh, right. Fruity Loops 20 is out of control, dude. It is so robust. I don't even you know would, what that is. I started with Fruity Loops 2000 whatever whatever it's it was. In, dude download the free version today it, you'll be you'll be in dawson heaven it, i was like oh god oh god where's the cowbell do you have a cowbell um but it, it's it's amazing and i totally forgot i used to i mean i used to do all of my mp3s for drum beats that way back in the day mm-hmm. and i was just trying to think like there's got to be a program that could just make me a click that i can that i could then put in as an actual audio track to this um, because even though that, that's the only limitation I've really found that's bothered me about Adobe Audition, I couldn't get Pro Tools to open yesterday mm. with my band here. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. That was it. That was mm. your last chance. Sorry, PT. Um, so yeah, so check out, check out Fruity Loops 20. You can get a free download just to check it out. But if you want to make really, really... I mean, if you want to make a click track, that was pretty easy to do. But if you want to make really long patterns and synths and and it is a DAW as well you can record into it if mm-hmm. you want um so it, it's pretty cool um i don't know what the paid version is i'm just i just needed to make a click track <laughs> i just needed it for a week nice. um, but i'll probably i'll probably pay for it and i just forgot how cool that thing is and i forgot how much that program influenced the groove scribe okay. that's what i was using when lou and i created the groove scribe and he's like well, what do you want i'm like just give me some dots give me 16 dots and let me fill them in and then it makes notes because <laughs> that's what fruity loops does for audio and you know, um, 
just the visualization of it was definitely based off Fruity Loops for sure. So Sweet. Yeah. There you go. All right. So my pick of the week is a record that came out just 29 years ago. <laughs> oh, sweet. That It can't be that old. Uh, 1991. I... That's now you're asking me to do math, but okay. That's that just sounds old for how 19 years ago. How does that work? Okay, well, I can tell you right now that record holds up, man. That thing still sounds great. Yeah, so it's Sting's record, The Soul Cages. We t- we featured Manu Caché a couple episodes ago, and I went down the rabbit hole of, of his stuff. Um, and I always kind of lean more towards the Peter Gabriel things, and then I'd forgot that he did this pinnacle record. It's the record before Vinny joined, so it was Manu. Yep. And then Vinny did the tour. So I knew the the live versions of all this stuff, but I never really spent time really listening to Manu's playing on these classic songs. And I told you before we started, I don't think there's another drummer on earth who, if they would have been hired to do that record, would have done as interesting, as musical, as creative, as funky as of a job as what Manu did. Every track has stuff you're like, no one else on earth would have thought to do that right there. Putting a huge snare drum downbeat on one every four bars. Like, who does that? Playing the beat completely backwards during the B section. Who does that? All the little colorful splash symbol things. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I remember thinking a long time ago, wow, Sting is so privileged. He gets to obviously pick any drummer he wants. and He's always picking the best drummers. And then when you look back on it, he picked a very few, very select drummers. He like, hasn't had a lot of drummers. No. You've got Omar, Manu, and Vinny, and obviously now Josh. But, I mean, Josh hasn't recorded with him, right? He's on the new record. Yeah. It's like oh, okay. My Songs, I believe, is a new record. And that's ju- that's in you know 2019. So yeah. um, it's actually a very select few. Because you think to like some of those great Sting tracks, it's like, ah, I wonder what Keltner would have sounded like on that. I wonder what Matt Chamberlain – I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Matt Chamberlain would have sounded like on yeah. that. and. Um, am I? Yeah, I'm, God, you got me all messed up with Jimmy Chamberlain. I'm like, I'm not talking about the guy from the Pumpkins, <laughs> although it'd be cool. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, and so it's it's uh, he's actually been very select with the drummers, and Manu's playing in Sting songs is quite different than Omar's and Vinny's. Yeah, you know? it's so lyrical and so free. That's yeah. that's what I'm yep. learning. Like, I think it's I think of if you think of straight ahead jazz, like the Roy Haynes approach, where it sounds like he's playing a lot of notes, but it's just perfect. Like it's just perfectly placed spots where the drums jump out in the front, mm. and it's just yeah. so lyrical, so poetic. So that's yeah, that album is kind of killing me. I like I listened to it six times over the past two days. Out of boy, just nonstop, nonstop. Nice. So that's the Soul Cages by Sting with the great Mino Cachet, and I think also the snare drum sound became what Vinny adopted while he was totally Sting. Dude, when you hear that first snare on Mad About You, yeah. um, oh my gosh, that's like, oh, that's uh, that's the same snare sound that Vinny gets on I Hung My Head yeah, later, you yeah. know, on the next album. And so, yeah, very Great cool record. stuff. Great record. All right, everybody, we'll have an amazing week. Sorry for the delay, but we did want to make sure that we recapped PASIC properly. And I think a 45-minute rundown of your weekend was good. <laughs> We went deep, yeah. dude. Well, but I that mean, was awesome because I mean, it was like a feature of some of the greatest drummers in the world to, to talk about it like I that. Like I really it, enjoyed we, it. We kind of take advantage of this happens every year. Like these are this is such a rare 
thing in the universe to have the, some of the greatest artists. And we just talked about drum set. We didn't even talk about all the well, other percussion. stuff that yeah, was going of on. Course. So yeah, I think it was important. And special thanks to everyone at PAS for keeping this train moving because it's it's so vital. Absolutely. All right, so we All get to right. hear you stumble through eulogy. Actually, no, you, you did oh a great God. job with it. <laughs> oh, dude, that was a five minute prep. Get the mics on. No excuses. No excuses. Fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. All I right. recorded forty videos in the last week. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Whatever. Ding 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 Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.